if you would, to Philippians chapter number 3, and stand with me for a moment, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and I'll ask you to stand with me for just a little bit. Anybody here ever get overwhelmed with what you have to get done? All right, so I'm not the only one. That's good. Uh, Some days and some weeks, it feels like all you're doing is going from to-do item to the next to-do item, and then you catch your breath, and you go, okay, that's done. And then there's another flurry of activity, and then you hear, that's done, and it just keeps going, and and thus is life. And uh, when the kids are young, all they want to do is they want to grow up. And then once they graduate high school and grow up, they're like, I wish I could be a kid again, right? Because life just continues to quicken. And uh, life gets busier. And your sense of what you have to do sometimes can just be a little, for lack of a better term, overwhelming. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of pare all of that down and give you some advice from someone that I think would be good for us to get advice from. Uh, He wrote half of your New Testament, went on three missionary journeys, and uh, touched countless lives, and we are here as a result in part of his ministry. His name is the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul gives some great advice in the book of Philippians as a whole, and here is one passage that I think would be good for us not to ignore. Philippians chapter 3, look if you would at verse number nine, and be found in him, talking about Christ, you learn that from verse eight, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. In other words, I haven't arrived yet. None of us have, right? We're still living in this physical life. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. If if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus, he says this in verse 13. Brethren, and if you're saved, that's you. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. This one thing I do. You feel a little overwhelmed this morning as a believer? I've got all these things to do. Maybe just pare it down to one. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask my dad that's visiting from the, uh, the state of Florida. That's how they say it where he's from. All right. If you would open us up in a word of prayer.
Amen. Be seated if you would. I want you to, to note that Philippians is an awesome, awesome book. And Paul writes this book while he's actually in jail. And uh, I think it's interesting that, that a book that talks more than maybe any other book that Paul wrote about the subject of joy in the Christian life, Paul writes from a prison cell. So uh, if you're having a bad day, just keep that in mind, all right? Uh, even when you're in a prison cell, you can, you can, you can uh, focus and you can meditate. And you can think upon all the reasons why in the Christian life you can be joyful. But Paul says some outstanding things in the book of Philippians. Look back at chapter 1, if you would. Chapter 1 of Philippians. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 6. I think this is an outstanding book. A lot of things that could be said about what he wrote here. I want to just point out some of them. Look at Philippians 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he, which, by the way, our generation is lacking confidence. And the reason we lack confidence is because if you don't have absolute truth, you don't know which way is up and you don't know which way is down. But if you're a born-again child of God, you should be confident about your salvation. And Paul was confident about that. He said being confident. Uh, listen, be, being confident of your salvation does not mean I did a great job to get myself saved. That, if that's how you think, you're not saved. Because you didn't do it, all right? Jesus Christ did it for you. But being confident in your salvation is this. I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I passed away tonight, if I went from, from life and, and slipped out into eternity, from this life into the next one, I know exactly where I'd be. I'd be in the presence of Jesus Christ forever and ever. And I am confident in that. I'm not confident about the stock market. I'm not confident about how you guys are going to think about the message. I'm not confident about what's going to happen later today. But I'm confident in my Savior. And I know this much. God is not a liar. And when he promises eternal life, he's going to keep his word. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun of good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 of the same chapter. We learn confidence from Philippians, from Paul's writing. We learn that our focus in life should be to be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 27, same chapter. Only let your conversation, that's your lifestyle, your manner of living, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. You know what that means? If you're a born-again child of God, everything that you do, how you respond to people, how you forgive, how you restore, how you respond to life, your joy, the things that make you happy, the things that make you upset, all of that should be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. Your entire life should point the world to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you learn that here in Philippians. Look at chapter 2. Look, if you would, at verse 8. You learn about how you should think, the kind of mindset that you should have as a believer. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon, him the, uh, upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You say, what do you learn from that? Look at verse 9. Here's what you learn from this passage. You learn that humility comes first and glory comes after that. You don't, you don't get the glory first. You humble yourself first in the sight of God. He will exalt you, and you'll be glorified afterwards. You learn that from Paul's writings. Look at chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. You want to find the path for mental peace? It's in the Bible. And no, no psychologist is going to have an upper hand on this over the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse number 8. Finally, brethren, 
whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things, aren't you glad you can know that there's such a, a thing as truth? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. You know what that tells me? I have great power right up here. And what I dwell on and what I think on can shape my entire life. And God literally gives us a blueprint for having peace. You say, how do you know it's all about peace? Look at verse 9. He says this, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do those things. And the God of what? Shall be with you. You want mental peace? Look at Philippians 4 verse 8. Look at verse 13 in the same chapter. I learned from Paul in the book of Philippians, I also learned that whatever it is that God wants from my life, God will enable me to do it. He will strengthen me to do it if I'm willing to submit to his plan. Look at verse 13. I can do some of the things that I feel like I'm capable of doing due to my training and education. Aren't you glad that's not how it reads? I can do what? All things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Look, there's a lot of things you can learn from the book of Philippians. And you can learn about being confident. You can learn about how to have mental peace. But it's sandwiched in between all of that is this narrative that, that Paul gives us where he goes back in time and he talks about his own testimony. And as he goes back in time and talks about his, own, his old life, his, his former self, if you will, the one that was before Christ. Listen, if you're lost without Jesus Christ, you've never been born again today. You might be religious. You might have been baptized. But if you're not born again, let me just say this much, you're outside of Christ and God God wants to bring you to himself. And before Christ, all of us have a story. Paul had a story. Paul does not glorify his sin when he tells his story, but he's telling his testimony. And as he dips back in time, you learn that Paul is a past. Look at chapter 3 and verse 1. Look down, if you would, at verse number 3. Look at verse number 4. Look at verse number 5. He's basically giving you his pedigree, his resume. And he's telling you, look, this is kind of who I was. Look at verse 6. This is what I had a different life back then. I was somebody as far as the world is concerned. And now I'm a nobody in their eyes. But you know what? I, when, I, when I look back at that life, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And he points to us to his past to, re, to reflect on where God has brought him. But in doing so, he kind of makes us aware of a particular danger of going back in time. And he kind of sets the tone, if you will, in verse number 13, where he says, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are where? You know what? Christians have a hard, you know what? People have a hard time doing letting go of the past. The past is exactly that. It is gone. It is yesterday. It is not your reality today. It may have had an effect on you, but it does not determine where you go for Christ going forward. And so Paul says, look, I am going to forget those things. Which are, well, what, what things is he going to forget? What, what is he talking about? Look at Acts chapter 7. We'll come back to Philippians. Look at, that. Look at Acts chapter 7. Some of you know the narrative of Paul's life very well. Some of you were raised in church, some of you were not. So I want you to, for everyone in the room to understand, regardless of where you came from spiritually, you can go back and kind of look in the book of Acts. Acts is a history book of the early church. And in that history book, you learn about the apostle, the man that we come to know as Paul, who was once named Saul. Look at Acts chapter number seven. Acts chapter number seven. 
And in Acts 7, you read about the story of a man named Stephen. And Stephen was the first martyr of the church uh, that's recorded by name in Scripture. I'm not saying he's the first one that died for the testimony of Christ, but in the Bible, he's the first one we know by name that died as a martyr for preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Look at Acts chapter 7. By the way, you better thank God for your civil liberties and all that kind of stuff. It's not like this everywhere. You know, there there are places on this earth right now, you name the name of Jesus Christ publicly, you could be killed. And and, and Stephen was, was doing this in a very tumultuous time in history. Look, if you would, at verse number 54, emotions were raw. There were certain sections of the nation of Israel that received their Messiah, others that did not. And Stephen gets up and preaches a very uh, in-depth message about the history of the nation of Israel and how they rejected their Messiah. And let me just say it like this. Not everybody that was there was a fan, and they let it be known. Look at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. By the way, when you preach the gospel, that should happen. The Bible says, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, kind of like, Nah, 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 we're not listening, right? And they just yelled over him. By the way, uh, today you're starting to see some of that in our society. You don't resolve conflict by yelling over other people. You understand that? All right, uh, And that's basically what they're doing, and they're running, and they're, they're screaming. And, and, and the Bible says they ran upon him with one accord, and they basically just ran him over and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses, listen to this in verse 58, the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was what? See, you know him as Paul, but they knew him as Saul. He was the guy driving all of this persecution. He was the one that was literally, look at Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Saul was the one driving all of this persecution. And here's this man that you're reading about in Philippians, and he's talking about his past life. This is the past life he's referring to. He's saying, look, I wasn't the one writing Christians and, and comforting them. I was writing letters to have them thrown in jail. I was trying to have them killed. That was my former life. Look, if you would, at chapter 9 of Acts, Acts chapter number 9. Maybe you're here and you've never been born again. And you go, I've just done too much bad to be forgiven by God. That's a lie. I I doubt you've been killing Christians for your career. I doubt that. And yet, can I get a witness, guys? I I hope not. Maybe, Maybe I'm wrong. I should duck or something right now. Uh, but, but I doubt that is your career. That was Saul's career. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, talking about the way of Christ, whether they were men or women, equal opportunity persecutor, how about that? He might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. See, who is that? That's, that's the man that you eventually know as Paul, the apostle. You know who he was? He was Saul of Tarsus. And as Paul writes the letter to the Philippians and he talks about his past and he goes through the annals of his mind and he, he starts searching back through the memory ranks of his, of his mind and his heart, he remembers, where he, came, he remembers the women screaming, please don't take my child away. He remembers the men saying, why you ripped me away from my wife? He remembers watching women and children uh, uh, cry and shed tears as dad was getting beaten, stoned. That was his job. 
So as he looks back on his past, yeah, he's got some things that bother him. Maybe some things that used to keep him up at night. Anybody here relate? Got some things that plague you? You know what Jesus Christ said to the disciples? Remember Lot's wife. You know what she did? She looked back one too many times. God said when he's bringing Lot and his family out of Sodom, and he says, look, don't, he says, I'm going to let you escape. I'm going to bring you out, and I want you to go, and I don't want you to look back. And Christian, God has saved you, and he's brought you out of your life, out of your past. It doesn't matter if your past involves before you were saved or after you were saved. If it was yesterday, that is your past. Let it die. Don't keep digging it up. Don't keep looking for an opportunity to go back. I wish I was there. I wish I could be there. Oh, things were better back then. Don't redress it in your mind. And also don't go back and dig up the guilt and, and dig up the baggage because God buried it under the forgetfulness of his grace and his mercy. When you go back and dig that up, it's like you saying to God, God, listen, I got to be honest with you. Uh, yesterday, uh, uh, the kids were screaming and they're, Dad, 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 the snake showed back up. So I ran outside with my shotgun. I was very safe. I didn't point at anybody, gun, gun safety and all that stuff. I ran out. Listen, I live out in the country. I live on acreage, all right? Don't lecture me on guns. When nasty things show up at your house, you blow them up, all right? And so this thing's slithering around, and so I take and I flip it over here so it's away from the house. You don't shoot a shotgun at a house. It's a bad idea. So I flipped it over here, and it's slithering around, and the kid's like, what are you going to do? I was like, boo. And so, like, it was halfway, like, severed, you know? And so the head is kind of still doing this thing. So I take the shovel. I'm sorry. Forgive me for the illustration. Some of you are not going to handle this well. I understand. I take that shovel like a crazy man. And the kids are like, we've never seen this side of dad before. I was trying to just make sure they knew if a boy ever even comes close to you that I don't want near you. And if you're one of them, I won't think twice. <laughs> Anyways. I shoveling that thing, and then I, I, the, the back end of it was just gone. So I, but the, the, the head, he was still moving. I said, well, he'll die eventually. He's done, right? And so a couple hours later, I'm going downstairs and just outside walking down. I look over, and her dog, golden retrievers are smart, but they're also very aware of their guilt. <laughs> and so that golden retriever is in the corner of the, underneath the porch, and she's just going like this. I'm going, I didn't even know what she did wrong yet. And I'm like, what is going on over there? And she's kind of like, she's trying to cover something. I said, what do you have? And I picked it up, and it was this big snake head. <laughs> and so I go inside the house, and I'm like, Lacey, look like, ah! You know, and I'm chasing the kids with it, you know. And, but I thought, man, that thing, I, I thought to myself, that thing's dead and gone, and yet here's this dog bringing it back to my attention. That's kind of what it's like when God has buried your sin and buried your past and said, let go of it. The unforgiveness and the bitterness and the resentment and the pride and the redressing of how the old life was so much better. God says, no, it's not. Leave it there. Then he finds you under the porch, kind of like this, like, what are you doing? I wish there was some wonderful place called the land of beginning again. Where all of our past mistakes and heartaches and all of our poor, selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door never to be put on again. Well, guess what? There is. It's called today in Christ. And as long as you're living in yesterday, you know why your mind is oftentimes clouded and you feel like you got a million things to do? The Lord's like, you just got one thing to take care of right now and you need to let some of this stuff go. 
Paul said this one thing I do. The author of Hebrews says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Today will soon be yesterday. And the problem is this. As long as you're reaching back, you never learn to reach forward. You are not, you don't have four arms, okay? I know moms have eyes in the back of their head and that's awesome and that's great. But for the rest of us, we don't have four arms. So if you're reaching back, you know what happens? You're missing out what's in front of you. Too many Christians are living that kind of life. Are there lessons to be learned from the, from the past? Absolutely. Can you learn what not to do? Absolutely. Can we glean understanding? Yes. But should we live in the past? No. And Paul shows us that. Warren Wearsby, one of the great minds of the last century, said the past can be a rudder that guides you or an anchor that hinders you. Leave your mistakes with God and look to the future by faith. Now the Bible says, and the same guy that writes us in Philippians, Paul, says the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. In other words, the things that were written uh, about the past and the, the things you find in the Old Testament and the stories and the narratives of, of men and women of God and their stories, and all, those are there to teach us lessons. He says you can learn from the past, but you don't need to live in it in order to learn from it. you would come with me to the old testament book it's the fifth book of your bible deuteronomy chapter two anybody here like to run for exercise anybody we're baptists like i ain't running i eat donuts and ask god to bless it in jesus name amen all right well if you like to run everybody on a treadmill i mean treadmills are kind of nice especially in the wintertime where you can't go out and you know you don't want to run in you know 20 degree weather and all that kind of stuff but there's something you have to be realistic about when it comes to a treadmill. Now, they got the new ones now. Where they got the screen. It's like, it's like I'm really in it. You know, and they got the music, you know, and, and even they've got ones now where you can put certain glasses on. It feels like you're inside the thing, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But here's the reality. Even with all that virtual stuff, the reality reality is this. Even if you jog five miles, which great, glad that you did that, you didn't technically go anywhere. <laughs> Do you understand? All right, so you started somewhere and you ended somewhere, and it just happens to be that where you started and where you ended is the same place. It's your basement or your living room or your bedroom or somewhere else. You understand what I'm getting at? And, and when you live your life and you're constantly going back, it's kind of like being on a treadmill where you just kind of keep going. You go, I don't know why I'm not getting anywhere because you keep going back when God wants you to go forward. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2, look if you would at verse number 1. Then we turned and looked, our, looked and took our journey in the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord said, and the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. How much longer do you want to be on the treadmill? Now look, look, there's nothing wrong with treadmill. You can't get out and all that kind of stuff. But let's, let's also say this. If it's a beautiful spring Colorado day, 80 degrees, it's not too hot, not too cold, just perfect. And you could be out with the sunshine, and the birds singing, and, and you can get out there and run and feel that sweat. I mean, why wouldn't you do that versus being on a treadmill? I mean, I, I would much rather take the outdoors where I actually experience something that's real out there and actually go somewhere and see some things versus just being stationary. Do you understand what I'm getting at? The Lord is saying to you, how long is it that you're going to be in the same place and going in circles in your life? Now, Paul says something. He says, this one thing I do. He didn't say this is the only thing I do. 
But he did say this one thing I do. And what I think he's trying to say is this in so many words. Look, you've got to get your priorities in order. You have to learn in order to move forward for Jesus Christ. Simple question. I promise not a gimme. But how many of you Christians legitimately want to move forward in your life for Jesus Christ? If that's you, and if it wasn't you, I kind of question why not. If it wasn't you, listen, there's a, a place that God wants you to go in your life, and it's beyond where you're at. He tells his disciples when he's here on the earth, he goes, let us go unto the other side of that sea. And then we'd get to the other side, he would experience certain things with them, and then he'd go, hey guys, it's time to go back to the other side. Well, Lord, why do we keep crossing sides? Why do we go back to Because there's more lessons to learn. There's more areas for you to grow in as a believer than where you're at right now. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved. God wants to take you further. And some of us are our own worst enemies. Because you go, yeah, I know that's where God wants me to go. And by the way, listen, God wants to make his will and his plan and his purpose for, his, for your life as a believer very clear. And you can't do that as long as you're looking back. I'll never forget one time I was driving with my dad, fitting, fitting illustration with him being here, and I got my permit. My wife knows the story. I got my permit, and uh, the first car we drove in was a really cool car. Some of you kids are like, you want to know what kind of car it was? It was a 1987 Dodge Caravan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. The girls were going to magnetize to that car, right? Chick magnet all the way, you know. 87 minivan was white with the red pinstripes, you know. And, and back then, I think it was just the one side door. It wasn't two back in the 80s, right? Anybody remember what I'm talking about? And, and, and so I got in that thing, and we left the DMV's office in uh, security, and we're driving down, I think it was Widefield Boulevard, if I'm not mistaken, and Widefield Park was on the right. That was the landmark where I was supposed to turn into our, our housing development. And so I do that. I turn in there. But here's the problem. I turn in there going about 20 miles an hour. And my dad had been saved for, oh, I don't know, about 10 years at that point. No, not even. No, sorry, wrong. Uh, about eight, eight, eight years, something like that. And uh, there were words that I hadn't heard him say. <laughs> and then when he calmed down, he tried to remind me, he said, son, why did you take that turn so fast? You know what my answer was? I was watching the car behind me, and they were kind of riding my tail, and I felt like I had to get out of their way. And my dad said this, Pero hijo mío, la ventana frente es tan grande. The, the, the windshield in the front is really big, but that rearview mirror is really small. And there's a reason for that. Because you're not supposed to live your whole life looking in this. Especially looking ahead. Paul the Apostle, in so many words, is trying to get us to understand, yes, your past does have influence. We don't deny that. Uh, Jacob wrestles with God in Genesis. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord touches his thigh. And for the rest of his life, he kind of walks a little bit differently. Maybe everybody asks him, why do you walk that way? And he can tell them, well, I, I had a wrestling match with God. What a great opening conversation, right? And so you can see that, that yes, your certain moments of your life, they can have an impact. But let me just say this much. That alone did not determine what Jacob did with the rest of his life. And whether it's good or bad, you need to understand this. The past is the past. And go back to Philippians chapter 3, and I see, I, I see here some things that Paul is trying to relate to us as believers the first thing I see is that this statement, this one thing I do is a statement 
of choice. A statement of choice. You know what I think about? I think about that old song, uh, My Sins Are Gone. You ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. Remember that song, guys? And the, the chorus goes, they're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary, as far removed as east is from the west, darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. It ought to be good enough for you. In the sea of God's, if God himself can forget everything about your past and bury it in the blood of Jesus Christ, can I ask you a question? Why aren't you letting it go? You know why God does that? He, listen to me very carefully, chooses to do that. And you choose to hold on to it. You see, we live in a day and age where everyone kind of has a reason, a justification for, for why it is that things are the way that, that they are in their life. And, and, and we kind of, if we're not careful and as a society, we, we can praise victimhood to the place where people think it's a good thing to not have a choice. And let me just say this much, you have, your life is an accumulation of all the small, daily, moment-by-moment choices that you make. You may go, well, I wasn't born in the family that I was born into. You're right, but there's an expiration date on how long you can blame your parents for your life. It's called the day you move out, all right? And, and whether you're there or past that, you need to understand, it is your choice to hold on to things, and it is your choice to let go of them. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, this one thing I do. You know what that tells me? He's choosing to, to do it. No one's making him do it. He didn't say, I, 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 this one thing God makes me do. <laughs> this one thing the church imp- imp- asks me to do. They, they beg me, they beseech. No, no, it is I do this thing. Why? Because I'm choosing. I'm choosing what I hold on to. I'm choosing what I let go of. We rented a, a dumpster. We're renovating the basement of our house because we've got another life on the way, and we keep accumulating animals and children like Noah's Ark. Well, recently, a turtle showed up at our house like, okay, let's take the turtle in. Why not? It's one more animal. Who cares, right? Goats, chickens, horses, turtles. Sure, why not? And, and if any more show up, I might say, please go the other way. Find another ark, you know? But, but we're, we're trying to make more room in our house, so we rented this ginormous dumpster, and, and, and i got to be honest with you. Going through all these totes and all this, you know, stacks of paperwork that the kids did and the cool pictures that they drew in second grade and third grade, it melts your heart, it makes you sad, but after a while you go, what are we doing with all this? You know, if I think it's all that important, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a picture of it. You know why? Because I can't hold on to everything in my life, listen to me, and still make room for more life. Something's got to give. I can't say, yeah, let's welcome another life in this world and let's move someone from upstairs to downstairs. Let's do all this stuff, but we're going to keep everything that we got. Something's got to go. And Christian, I just got to be honest with you. There's some things in your life that may have to just go. You say, what is Paul saying? It's a statement of choice. You know what the Bible says over in Isaiah 38? My favorite verse in the Bible. Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou, Hezekiah says this, but thou and in love to, uh, in love to my soul has delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, and thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Aren't you glad God did that for you? You know what that says from God's standpoint? Those are behind me. Why aren't they behind you? I'm glad that God cast them behind his back. It's a tragedy, however, that we dig things up from the past when God says, let it go. You know what? I need you to understand this. You are choosing to hold on. 
or you choose to let go. But you can't do both. And you can't blame everybody else for why you hold on to things. I read this. Not scripture, but boy, it's so good. We all come into this world the same way. Naked, scared, and ignorant. Amen. (laughs) After that grand entrance, the life we end up with is simply an accumulation of the choices that we make. In essence, you make your choices, and listen to me, and then your choices make you. You know why some of you hold on to the past? Because you choose to hold on to those past hurts and those past injustices and to a better time. You know, some people miss out on the best time of their life because they're looking back to the supposed better time of their life. You you don't know what I've been through. I don't. But if you're a born-again child of God, I know this much, you're still breathing. Which means God has you here for a purpose. Which means that you shouldn't constantly look back and go, oh, things were just so much better back then. Life was so much better back then. It was easier back then. And God's going, you're looking back over here, and I've got all of this in front of you, and you're missing it. Why? Because I choose to. You know what Paul says twice in Timothy? He says to hold on to things, to lay hold of them. And twice in Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You can't lay hold on what's in front if you're holding on to what's behind you. You guys have heard the story before, but maybe it's worth repeating. There are things that all of us have in our homes that are kind of precious to us, that mean something, that, that if they break... Like, we're kind of like, especially if we know that it's one of the kids that broke it, (laughs) right? Any any parent here uh, ever met the child named Not Me? Anybody ever met? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'd like to meet Not Me someday. (laughs) Yet to meet him or her will be gender equal because it could be her, who knows? But um, story about this, (laughs) I love stories about dads that are left alone to watch kids because you never know what's going to happen. Mom goes to run an errand, and there's this beloved, it's not just a vase, it's a vase. <laughs> um, this thing's precious, it's some old, you know, uh, piece of china, and it's been passed down from generation to generation, and it really means something to mom, and so therefore, if it means something to mom, it should mean something to everyone in the house, so we don't mess with that. And all of a sudden, dad is in his study while mom's away running some errands, and he just notices it got real quiet real fast. I gotta be honest with you, when it gets quiet in my house, I'm very nervous. <laughs> Because normally the enemy lets you know what they're doing. And when they go silent, it's like (laughs) jungle warfare with the littles, right? All of a sudden it's real quiet and the dad goes out and he starts hearing a small, faint, whining sound. (laughs) You know what that's like, parents, right? And you're like, oh, man. She left me alone, and it, nothing ever happens. And then she leaves me, and I got the kid, and now something bad's happening, you know. And, and, and so he goes to check on, he finds the noise. He gets to it, and it's his son there, and his son's got his hand stuck in a vase. And so he puts WD-40. That's what dads would do, you know. If it can't be fixed with WD-40 or duct tape, what do you do, right? <laughs> WD-40, he's putting butter in there, and he's trying to pull the son's arm out, you know, and Finally, you know, the door opens, and it's like the slowest creaking sound that husband's ever heard. It's like, 
He knows judgment is coming. His wife's walked in the house. And she walks upon the crime scene, and she looks at both of them, and he hangs his head, and, and, and she looks back, and she's kind of like, okay, I get it. I know what we got to do. So they shatter that vase. And when they do, they see the boy's hand like this. And dad goes, son, did you have your hand as a fist the whole time? <laughs> son, why did you have? And now the son realizes this is a bad thing. This is not a good thing. And he sees the face on his parents, and he starts kind of holding his fist tight, and dad just goes, he's got a penny. That several thousand dollar heirloom is gone because of a penny. Now, you get it, right? You're holding on to something that has no value in your life anymore. And you're willing to shatter what God could do with your future because of holding on to something that God has already told you to let go of. And he's applied the butter the WD-40 of the Holy Spirit to God, try to let you let that thing go. And you're like, okay, maybe this time. The Lord's like, it ain't coming out unless you let it go. And you're almost like, here, just, just shatter it. The Lord's like, I don't want to shatter it. That choice, listen to me, is yours. Paul says this one thing I do. He's, he's making a statement of choice. If any man come after me, let him deny himself. You know why Jesus said that? Because you're not obligated to follow him. You have a choice. The Bible says, as many as received him. John chapter 1. You know why? Because God does not force you to get saved. He goes, here's the gospel. Here's hope. Here's love. Here's forgiveness. Here's redemption. Do you want it? Yes or no. As many as received him. That's a choice that you make or you don't make. But it's not a matter of God forcing you. That's your choice. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's a choice. Those that believe not, the wrath of God abideth upon them. John chapter 3, that is a choice. And can I say it like this? Choices have consequences. I do not, I don't want to get into politics. I don't, you know, people are kind of losing their minds out there because of what the Supreme Court has said. And all I'm going to say about this is this one small thing. Everyone that's arguing about whether or not they should or shouldn't be able to do this is alive. This is deep. Because their parents made a choice to let them live. You, you understand what I'm saying? Choices have consequences. And when you choose to hold on to that penny and hold on to the past and keep looking back, and you choose to hold on to the bitterness hold on to the resentment and you choose to hold on to the better time and and when god used me and hey listen if you're not dead and god's not dead god wants to use you <laughs> but you're limiting yourself by going back can i say this it's a statement not only of choice but it's a statement of priority look if you would there in verse number 13 he said but this one thing I do. Can I say it like this? If everything's a priority, nothing is a priority. 
I read this. I thought it was very fitting. Good things happen when you get your priorities straight. God is a God of priorities. You know how I know that? Because he says the first and great commandment is this. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why is one first and the other second? Because this. You will never, this is what humanism is trying to do today and it's not working. The more they talk about tolerance and diversity, the more they hate. That's what you're seeing out there. And it's going in all kinds of directions. It is an artificial love. It is not genuine. It is not sincere because it's not grounded in truth from God himself. And what, you're, what you need to understand is this much. Listen, the world is going in a certain direction. And the reason that they're doing that is because they don't have what you have. And you know what they're saying? We've got we to gotta get our priorities straight. So we're going to love fellow man above anything else. Wrong priority. First priority is God. Everything after that. You know why the second is like unto it? Because you can never love your neighbor as yourself if you don't first love, learn to love God. Do so you know what that teaches me? That teaches me the principle of priority. You can't make everything a priority because if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. Paul says this one thing I do. It, it doesn't mean that it was the only thing he exclusively did. It just meant in regards to priority. Where he was at in life, this was really important. As I'm telling you about my past, I need you to understand, I'm forgetting all that. I'm telling you so you know a little bit, but I want you to know, I'm putting it behind me. Yesterday, the day before yesterday, we were sitting up for Bella's graduation, and <laughs> the wind, anyone that knows like where we live, it's like halfway to Kansas, right? So the wind blows all the time. And, you know, we were get, putting decorations out for, for Bella's graduation ceremony thing. And, you know, and the balloons go here, you know, and the blue apron goes, you know, but if, if it's just a bunch of guys like, yeah, there's meat, let's eat, you know. But it has to look nice. It's got to be pretty, you know. And, and so me and Brother James, are, we kind of realized the wind is starting to kick up, you know. And we're like, maybe we should take these, these canopy tents down. And I looked at Brother James and said, nah, nah, it's okay. That's, just, that's, how, that's how we think. That's how I think, you know. I'm kind of the, you know, que sera, sera, whatever. And so Brother James is not that way. He's like, I think we should take these down. I'm like, okay. So we started taking them down. I'm kind of like, well, yeah, but I think the wind's going to die down. It's not that big of a deal. And all of a sudden, this wind came up out of nowhere. And I'm holding to the canopy. He goes, brother, if you don't let it go, it's taking you with it. And that thing, he says, literally, he says, let it go. And I said, (laughs) and that thing shot up in the air like a projectile. Boom, 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 boom. He goes, and that one was mine. (laughs) And I gave him a big hug. I said, thanks for letting your canopy die for my life. I appreciate that. (laughs) It was either me or the canopy. And I'm thankful Brother James gave me the, distra- the, the instruction to let the canopy go. You know what it was? Listen, at that moment in time, in my mind, I was like, we've got to save the canopy. And Brother James was like, let it go. He recognized the priority at that moment was I could replace a $100 tent a lot easier than I could my limbs. There's a problem in our life. Amen, sister. There's a problem that's created in our life when we get priorities out of order. And you need to understand, in God's economy, priorities matter. And when you refuse to assess where you're at in life as a believer, and you don't say, I haven't yet arrived, I still need to learn more, I still need to grow, and in order to do that, my priorities should not be all over the place, my priorities should not be going back to the past, but rather letting that go. It's a statement 
a priority. Most of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. I believe that. Paul said a priority of evaluating that he hadn't attained, a priority of letting go, forgetting those things, and a priority of direction and reaching forth. You know what Jesus said in his earthly ministry? My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. What what was he saying? There's a time for everything, and my priority right now is to follow the Father's direction and to preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick and raise the dead and so on and so forth. But it is not yet my time to reveal everything about who I am. I will do that right before I march to that cross. You know, it shows me about our own Savior. He had priorities, and he never mixed them up. We would do well to learn from that. How about this? You could have sold that and given it to the poor. Who says that, Judas? Misplaced priorities. Come worship me, uh, come worship with me before the people. Who says that, Saul? Peter, after the resurrection, not really sure what to do next for the Lord. I go a fishing. Misplaced priorities. You shouldn't be fishing for fish anymore. You're supposed to be fishing for men. What happened? Well, life got hard. Welcome to the club. Who told you that once you got saved, your life was going to be perfect and sunny and bright and no problems and never sick and kids will never rebel and there'll be no unseen bills and there'll be no medical problems? And there'll be... Who told you that? Oh, the TV preacher? Well, that's because he was lying to you because he wanted your check. That's why. When you come to a Bible preaching, Bible leading church, here's how this goes. The greatest problem you had was your soul was on its way to a hell that God never desired for you to go to. God wanted to restore your soul, redeem your soul, and have fellowship with you. So the biggest problem you ever had got fixed the moment you got saved. But man, there's a bunch of other little ones falling right behind. And that the, the, the destiny of your soul was fixed, but that doesn't mean everything in your life would be perfect. So what happens is life gets hard like it did with Peter. And he goes, yeah, forget it. I'm going to go fishing. His priorities got messed up. Samson. Samson. She pleaseth me well. Get me her. Me, man, I like woman. Get her for me. <laughs> kind of what Samson had going on. You say, what's the problem? Misplaced priorities. choices that you're making right now, the reason you're making the choices you do, listen to me, are because of your priorities. And the reason you're holding on to things is your priorities aren't right. There's some things you gotta let go. It might even be a relationship. I don't know. You know when I get up to preach, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know this much. If God has me spend hours of my weekend getting ready for something like this, it's probably because someone has some things they need to let go of. And I don't know who you all are, but I'll say this much. You would be wise to lay them at the feet of Jesus Christ this morning. Can I say this much? It's a statement of action. Paul says this one thing I what? I do. Can I, can I say this? God, our God is a God of action. He's, not, he's a God of the living. He's a God of, not the God of yesterday. You say, well, he's yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, but he's not the God of the dead. He says before Abraham was, I am. You say, why? He's the God of the living. You know what that means? You know what living things do? They do things. They don't just exist. You know what's one of the problems with, with the, uh, raising a generation that's only taught to communicate through devices? When you're in front of them, a live human being, they just kind of stare at you. <laughs> I'll never forget. Listen, let, young men, if, if you're ever texting a girl that's in the same room, put the phone down 
Go shake her hand, look her in the eye like a living person, talk to her, and then she'll respond like a living person, and you'll be like, OMG, emoji, emoji. If you want to do that in verbal conversations, have your, have it, knock yourself out. But at least go, go to that person. And, you know what I'm getting at? We've lost that. Society is becoming dead and living an artificial life. That is not the plan God has for your life, believer. And understand this much, God is a God-living. The, the first book of your Bible, the first chapter of your Bible, God said, God spoke, God created, God did this, God did that. God did not just sit there and wait. He did something, and when you get saved, he imparts that spirit inside of you to say, hey, it's time to do certain things in your life. I will not make you do them, and I will not do them for you. Paul said this one thing, I do. He's not called the I was, but the I am. Are you listening? One time he tells a story about this good Samaritan. And he tells that story because someone is kind of being a smart aleck, like, well, who then is my neighbor? Oh, I got a good one for you, Lord. Who's my neighbor? Yeah, you didn't see that one coming. Huh? Yeah. Who's my neighbor, Lord? And he's like, well, let me tell you a story. And he tells him a story about the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that thing, he says, so who was the neighbor? And he goes, well, it was this guy. Good. Gold star. Go and do thou likewise. Not go and just think. Go and believe. No, no, no. Go and do. For years, some of you have been saying, I need to. I need to. I need to, I need to. You acknowledge it intellectually, but you're not doing it. And Paul says, this one thing I do, why? I'm going somewhere. You guys want to come? Who wants to come with me? We're going to go somewhere for Jesus Christ. Who wants to go? For, man, it's going to be a great ride. Who wants to go? And Paul goes, if you don't want to go, I won't force you to go, but here's where we're going. And by the way, if you're coming, we travel light because you can't bring all that baggage with us. This one thing I do, I am going to act on what I know is right. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm not just going to express my belief in it. I'm going to do it. You know what, we know what we do sometimes? I know that's the right thing to do, preacher. You're right. The Bible says it. There it is. I can't argue with that, but I'll do it tomorrow. Churches are filled with Christians this morning. They're saying, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I'm going to do that this week. Then Monday rolls around, and you're like, man, you ever tell yourself I'm going to start that diet on Monday? And then Monday comes around, and you're like, I don't know. I'm just not feeling it, man. And that's a, that's a, there's no way to say that. I'm hungry, and I don't want to eat that lettuce, right? Like, I, give me that donut and give it to me right now. Now, I, I, I got, you can need to pray for me. I need wisdom right now because when, when, when a, your wife is pregnant, she goes, I am going to stick to this, and I'm only going to eat this. Yes, ma'am, you got it. Of course, yeah. And then like an hour later, hey, uh, where are the Cheetos? <laughs> and it's like, should I get the Cheetos? I told you. Okay. Then I bring the Cheetos, like, why did you let me do that? Cheese all over her face. Pray for me. Okay. Here's the thing. You can talk a lot about what you know you need to do as a believer, 
And you can even say, yep, Lord, I need to let that person go. I need to let that relationship go. I need to let that habit go. I need to let that part of my life go. I need to quit digging up the past. I need to quit holding on to that thing. I need to quit uh, holding on to that bitterness. I need to let go of that resentment. I need to let go of that unforgiveness. You're right, God. I need to do that. I just need to wait for that feeling. That's how, you, that's how many people live the Christian life. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will tomorrow. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and look, if you would, at verse 13. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press. You know what that means? It's not going to be easy, but it's worth acting on. I press, look at this, toward the mark for the prize. You ever get these random, like, spam texts? You are a prize winner. (laughs) Send us your credit card, and we'll tell you what you won. (laughs) Don't send them your credit card, all right? You know, you, here's these, we live in a world of a bunch of fake and elusive prizes. But this prize is not that way. This is not even just talking about the prize of heaven. This is the prize of knowing Jesus Christ in this life. And when you get on the other side into eternity, looking into his eyes and hearing him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the rewards that he wants to bestow on you at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you don't know what that is, stick around, you'll learn about it. And the things that God has for your life. There's a prize, there's a destination, there's a fixed point on the map of your life. And it is not your career alone, it is not riches alone, it is not your 401k alone. I'm not saying those are all bad things, but it's not just those things. It's way beyond that. It is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you're supposed to be moving in that direction. You know what that statement is, what Paul says, this one thing I do? It is a statement of promise and reward. I know where I'm going. So in light of where I'm going, I can't see it all yet, but here's what I'm going to do. Look with me, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. You say, what is 2 Timothy chapter 4? It is Paul's goodbye note. It's where Paul says, I'm done. And I want you to notice something in chapter 4, and look, if you would, at verse number 6. Very, very profound words here. The first few words of verse number 6, he says, For I am now what? Can I say this? Some of you think Paul was ready, like, like, just muster up the courage and the feeling in the last quarter of your life. Now you're ready. It was years of going through things and years of the discipline of letting go of that which God said, I don't want that in your life anymore. And years of embracing the things that he didn't even necessarily want to embrace, but God said they were good for him. 
years of letting go of the things that were holding him back and that were like baggage in his life and years of moving forward and, and toward in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of all those years and those moments and those moment-by-moment situations and choices and priorities that were made, he gets to the end of his life and he says with honesty and sincerity, I am now ready. Listen, Christian, you don't just wake up one morning and go, I'm ready. I heard somebody recently say that they're arguing today that Jesus Christ was a woman. <laughs> I heard someone give commentary on it. He goes, are you kidding me? Here's this man that walks around, lives a sinless life. Uh, he's buried, and he's the son of, calls himself the son of God. He's buried, and three days later, he rises from the dead in white robes. He says, you know any women that can get ready that quick? I was, I was like, oh, that's probably not... Probably not the best way to put that thing forward. But here's Paul. Here's Paul. Don't lose me here. Here's Paul at the end of his life. And he says this, I'm not ready. Why? Because I just feel it? Or because of everything that came before? And Paul goes, hey, if you want to know how I got to the place where I could say I'm not ready, it's because of this one thing I do. Christian, are are you doing that? That one thing? Well, kind of weird because in that verse, he talks about forgetting and then reaching forth and then pressing toward. Yeah, but here's what you have to get a hold of. It's all one motion. It just starts with forgetting those things which are behind. And then you're reaching forth and then you're pressing. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, And I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still, oh, he'd have me rich. And I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I can't retrace, then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with empty hands. And bow my uncrowned head, no Lord, of the years that are left to me. Let me live to the pattern that thou hast planned. I'll close with this thought. In 1968, I believe it was, in Mexico City, they held the Summer Olympics. And uh, there was a race. It was at the end of the day blaring heat and uh, a number of people many most many people did not finish that race I forget the number I believe it was about 40 out of 74 people that didn't finish that race that's how bad it was and there was a man from Tanzania East African country his name was John Stephen Akwiri and somewhere toward the beginning of the race he actually fell on concrete busted his leg all up. They had to bandage it. Just, it was all a bloody mess. <laughs> Several hours later, after most of the crowd had left the stadium, moving on to the next festivities, in strolls Joseph. And when the news cameras got to him, the bandages are all falling off that point. His leg is even a worse mess than it was before. They said, why did you even... Most of these people dropped out. Why'd you, why'd you finish? 
You didn't get a prize for it. You didn't get anything for it. Why'd you do it? He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start this race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. Christian, let me say this. God wants you to finish well. But you need to learn to do this one thing. Let's all stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. As the piano player comes, the Lord has talked to you. I pray you take advantage of this time. Father, we ask that you would bless this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that your people would respond, that the Holy Spirit would move on them. And Lord, rather than holding on, rather than keeping the extra baggage, I don't know what all the things are or the people are or the thoughts are what the relationships are, whatever it is that you're trying to impress upon your people to let go of, I pray that they would respond in accordance to your spirit. And you'd help them, Lord, not just to think right and to believe right and to acknowledge this, but to do this one thing. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Christian, can I ask you, why are you holding on to certain things? What, what, do you, what value is that? There might be some bitterness. There might be some resentment. And guess what? You choose whether you let that go. There might be a pattern in your life for how you deal with conflict and how you deal with stress and how you deal with the disruptions of life. And God says, it's time to let that go. Would you respond and say, Lord, I hear you. I am leaving this at your feet. There are some marriages that need some healing. There are some lives that need to be restored. There are some relationships that could be mended. There are a lot of things God could do if, if we as his people would just say, yep, this, this one thing I do. Not I will do. I'm doing it now. <laughs> every head bowed and every eye closed. I believe I, I'm primarily speaking to believers this morning. But if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I simply suggest to you that the sins of your past cannot be erased by good works. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Talk about a gift. The, the erasing of my sinful past, the chance for a new life, all of that is found in Christ. You know what you have to do if you're lost? You have to let go of your religion. You have to let go of your self-righteousness. And say, that's not going to do it. That's not going to work. I, those things and that religion and these actions, they will not take away my sin. I'm letting go of what I used to think was good enough. And I'm turning to Jesus Christ because He is good enough and I'm not. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Say, what is that? That's letting go of something so you can hold on to something a whole lot more valuable. If you've never been born again, I pray you get that today. 
And if you have questions about that, please don't leave today without grabbing me or someone else that can open up a Bible and show you what it means to be born again. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for being attentive, for allowing the Word of God to speak to you. I pray that it would bear fruit in your life this week. Um, glad that you made this your home this morning, and we'd love to see you again Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We've got our midweek Bible study. We're learning about the results of a Spirit-led life, and we talked about gentleness last Wednesday night. Uh, I believe we're looking at goodness uh, this Wednesday night, so I hope you can make it out for that. Uh, don't forget... Uh, as we dismiss, uh, we'll have in about five minutes, as Brother Craig said, VBS starts in here. In about 10 or so minutes, the food will be here for uh, uh, new members class. And uh, if you're curious about what it means to be a member here, we invite you to stay for that. We'd love to have you. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, I hope you got something from the word of God. I hope God spoke to your heart. All right. Uh, Brother Sean Bowie, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer. And uh, if you're not sticking around for any of the festivities today, we hope to see you Wednesday night, brother, if you would.